Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. During the season of Christmas and Epiphany, we remember that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His name reminds us that even though we may be separated from one another, we are united in God, who holds us all in his hands. And so we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, whose Son revealed in signs and miracles the wonder of your saving presence. Renew your people with your heavenly grace, and in all our weakness sustain us by your mighty power. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is from... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honourable, we clothe with greater honour. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one members suffer, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kind of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
but strive for the greater gifts. The reading is taken from Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today is an important word in Luke's Gospel. It's used at a number of significant points. When the angel appears to the shepherds outside Bethlehem, he says, To you is born today a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Later on in the Gospel, Jesus comes across a tax collector, Zacchaeus, a man who's despised by his neighbours. He's climbed a tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus calls him down and says to him, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. When the crowd start to grumble at this, he turns to them and says, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. And then, almost at the end of the story, the thief who's crucified beside Jesus asks, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But Jesus can do better than that. Today you will be with me in paradise, he promises. Luke's telling us something with all those todays. He's telling us that God is already at work, already doing the things that need to be done. He's not waiting for people to be ready, for them to get it all together and come up with a plan, get themselves sorted out, recruit a team, go through a training programme. He's getting on with it himself, in the person of Jesus. And he's doing it today. We can join in or not, but today's the day we need to choose. It seems to me, though, that today is some, something that many of us struggle with. It can feel so much easier to live in yesterday or tomorrow. We look back nostalgically to a golden age, even if it never really existed. We cling to our souvenirs. We lug around regrets and old animosities too. They're burdens, but they're familiar burdens, our burdens. We can't quite bring ourselves to leave them behind. That's living in yesterday. But living in tomorrow can be just as problematic. We wait for the perfect moment to do something we've been putting off, delaying because we just don't think we're ready. Living in tomorrow can leave us permanently dissatisfied. Whatever we need to make us happy is just around the corner, we think, over the horizon, in the next job, 
the next relationship, if only we could get there. Why are we so fond of our yesterdays and our tomorrows? Well, maybe it's partly because there are so many of them. All of history lies behind us to be recalled, and all the future lies in front of us to be imagined and dreamed of. But today, well, that's just the small patch of ground under our feet, the place where we're standing for this fleeting moment. We've hardly got time to notice it before it's gone. But maybe we also prefer yesterday and tomorrow because we can't do anything about them. We can't change the past and we can't control the future either. So in a sense, we're off the hook. Today, though, makes immediate, urgent demands on us, maybe inconvenient or costly ones. Today is the only moment we can act, but do we want to? The people who came to the synagogue in our Gospel reading today were probably just as bad at living in the present as we are. They certainly treasured their yesterdays, the stories of their past relationship with God, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of God rescuing them through Moses from slavery in Egypt, of God speaking to them through the prophets like Isaiah, whose words Jesus was about to read. Isaiah's prophecies were already 600 years old by this time, and they were favourites, much copied, much quoted, comforting, reassuring, just because of their familiarity. So as Jesus began to read, some of his congregation would have been catapulted straight back into their yesterdays, and would happily have stayed there. Others, though, were thrown forward into tomorrow. Isaiah was one of the first prophets to speak of a Messiah, an anointed, chosen agent of God, someone who'd bring in a new kingdom in which God ruled. It was a vision of the future which had caught hold of the, the popular imagination. By the time of Jesus, people had many different ideas of what that Messiah would be like, what he would do. A prophet or a teacher, a military leader, a high priest. Now and then someone would say they'd found the Messiah and there would be a brief stir of excitement. But most people just carried on as they were leaving the Messiah to be a hope for the future, somewhere over the rainbow. After all, who wanted the disruption of a Messiah actually turning up in your own time? So when the congregation settled down to listen to Jesus' reading, the yesterday people were all ready to hear comforting words from their past, and the tomorrow people were all ready to hear visionary words about the future. But what they got from Jesus was a bombshell. They got the word today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Pretty soon they were all up in arms. Who did he think he was? Was he really saying that he was the Messiah, this carpenter's son, who they'd all known since he was knee-high to a grasshopper? Whatever they thought the Messiah would be like, they didn't think it would be like this. He hadn't even read Isaiah's prophecy right. He'd stopped short of the bit that many of them probably wanted to hear. Because this passage from Isaiah doesn't end with the words to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What Isaiah actually wrote was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, 
Unsurprisingly, since it was written when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, Isaiah looked forward to a time when those who'd enslaved and oppressed them would get their comeuppance. Yes, they would now look to Jerusalem. Yes, there would be a time of peace and plenty. But that would be because Israel was now the top dog and they were the vassals. The boot would be on the other foot. Many of Jesus' hearers felt the same way about the Romans, the oppressors in their own day. But Jesus' life would be one long proclamation of the message that vengeance served no one. Through him, God would put a stop to vengeance, taking the burdens and the guilt of the world on himself on the cross, suffering without calling for retribution, offering forgiveness and a new start. Now that's great when God is forgiving you, but it's much harder to swallow if he's forgiving your enemies and declaring them to be part of his family on an equal basis with you. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. And he was saying that it all started now, today, with him. If we read on, we would find that it so enraged the congregation in that Nazareth synagogue that they actually tried to throw him off a cliff. He slipped away, but that was the end of his ministry there. He moved on to Capernaum, and as far as we know, never went back. And it was all sparked off by that word, today. So where does that leave us? Well, I'm sure we'd all like to think that we'd have reacted differently, but would we? After all, the poor still need good news, and the oppressed still need freedom in our today, just as they did in Jesus' time. And God still calls those who follow Jesus to work for those goals. You are the body of Christ, says St Paul in today's first reading. Not you were, or you ought to be, or you will be one day when you've got yourself sorted out. But you are, present tense, right now, today. Whatever God was doing through Jesus, he's also trying to do through us. We can't all do everything. Some of us are hands or feet. Some of us are ears or eyes in Paul's imagery. But we are not let off the hook. We all have a part to play. We can't rest on the laurels of those who answered God's call in the past, yesterday, or hope that someone will do something at some unspecified time in the future, tomorrow. It's today that matters, It's today that we'll get the chance to befriend someone who's lonely and we'll either take that chance or not. It's today that we'll hear about some need somewhere and decide to help or not. It's today that we'll feel that urge to pray for someone we know who's going through a hard time or pick up the phone or send a text or an email or a card and we'll either respond Or we'll push the thought to one side, perhaps thinking that we're not ready, that someone else would do it far better. And it's today that the people we help or fail to help will feel the effects of that choice. For some, it might be the turning point between despair and hope, a small action that makes a huge difference. So let's not take shelter in our yesterdays or sink into daydreams about our tomorrows. Let's ask God to show us what he wants us to do today, 
as the body of Christ, his hands and feet. And then let's go and do it today. Amen. And so we bring our prayers to God and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ, who by his incarnation gathered into one things earthly and heavenly, fill you with peace and goodwill, and make you partakers of the divine nature. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.